Hey, good morning. I hope that's an encouragement to you. It's so amazing to be together and to worship together and to be reminded of all of God's promises and what he's capable of doing. And I know that when we we hear music like this, I often come across those kinds of songs on the radio and I'm I'm I'm, I'm wondering how people are interpreting God moving mountains in their lives. Is it the the smaller things or is it the big things? But the beauty of how the Lord works is that he knows what mountains he needs to move in our lives. And he's the, the orchestrator of it all. And fortunately for you and me, he's powerful enough to do it. So if you're waiting to see God move in your life, you can pray to him in confidence. He will do so according to his will. And Dr. G, you've seen God move, you know, and uh, we are waiting and, and begging for God to continue to move. And uh, part of what I get the uh, privilege and opportunity to introduce you this morning is our guest speaker. And And I think the theme of all of this is that as the world thinks that the church is coming to an end, is that God's movement is coming to an end, he's probably beginning again and just moving forward. And we get to hear a lot about that from, from Dr. Chris. So it's my, my pleasure this morning to introduce him because we have so many uh, new faces to our ministry since the last time you were here. And that's been our uh, absolute blessing. And so it's important for me to, to introduce him to you. So uh, these are the notes he gave me. He said, you have to introduce me this way because, no, I'm just kidding. He said, none of those things. It's terrible, isn't it? I told him before I was going to introduce him so I could I could swell his head for him, but um, anyway, he said, no, it's already big enough. Uh, that's what I like about Dr. Chris. Go back and forth. Um, anyway, so he is a professor. He's a communicator. I, I want him to be a rap uh, star. I think if anybody could pull that off, in India crossover in the United States, that'd be awesome. An evangelist, podcaster, writer. You probably, I'm just finishing a two-week vacation. You should probably try that. It's very refreshing. Give it a shot. Take a break once in a while, Dr. Chris. But uh, Chris is a professor for theology and global studies at Liberty University and serves as the director of leadership development for Chris Star. Chris and Dorothy, his wife, have two daughters, Alethea and Karis, who graduated from Liberty University as well. And uh, Chris, uh, his, I believe he's been put on this planet to motivate God's people to stir us out of our comfort zones um, Chris will um, say that he is doing what others don't do, won't do, and can't do, and I'd welcome you to expound on that a little bit as you talk to us this morning, but I found that to be true because there's a whole list of degrees and other things I could list for you this morning, but what I love the most about Chris Nanakin is he is a practitioner. Uh, he is going to be in the trenches, both literal and figurative, doing the work of the ministry. So it doesn't just all swim up here. It shows up in the hands and feet um, of Jesus in the places that we're going to hear about. And I and I hope you lay a challenge for us this morning to move out into these areas, but also some personal connections you have that I would love to encourage our church to get behind this morning. And we'll be praying about those things, I believe, as we close our time together. But just keep in mind that uh, we are here not just to be spoken to. We're not here just to get out of the rain. We're not here just to be encouraged. We're here to participate in something that God is doing all around the globe. And Dr. Chris is a great representation of the things that the Holy Spirit is doing in parts that we've never visited. 
And uh, we have an opportunity to participate in that. So we've been uh, supporting Chris and his ministry, first with OTAN and now with Christar, um, because he is going to the places that the gospel doesn't often reach. And that's our heartbeat here at Faith, is that we want to uh, endeavor to participate in those places um, that uh, the gospel is desperately needed. We know that America is quickly becoming that place as well. And so God's calling us to, to uh, be engaged in this battle on all fronts. Uh, so with that said, uh, Dr. Chris, would you please come and share God's word with us this morning? Would you please welcome Dr. Chris Nanakin? Thank you, Pastor Brent. Good morning, church. How many of you have seen me before? Oh, you still came back. Uh, how many of you have not seen me before? That's good, actually. How many of you wish you never see me again? You're like... I said that in one church, they said, why don't you speak, then we'll decide. And, uh, well, it's always a, a joy and a thrill for me to be back. Uh, some of you know, once a year, I come to a place called Living Waters, uh, because 37 years ago, when the missionaries were kicked out of India, and Jack Wurtson from Word of Life, and if you've heard of Word of Life Bible, oh, okay, so Word of Life Bible Institute, uh, Jack couldn't come to India, and so they said, uh, one of the members on their board was a person called Wendell Calder. And if you heard of that name, Wendell Calder. So Wendell told Jack, listen, you can't go to India. Why don't you bring one of those young people and train them up and put the word of God under their belt, the fire of God in their heart and send them back. So 37 years ago, I was the young fellow, an electrician who worked with a German company, Bosch, in India who came to Word of Life. I've never seen snow in my life when I came to the Adirondacks. I knew I'll suffer for Jesus and die then itself before I joined all this stuff. Uh, I've seen it on postcards, but my goodness, you guys have like, what, f- six inches for six months or something? I, uh, six, well, I don't know, six feet, I think, right? Um, so, But I always have such a warm welcome when I come. I'm particularly interested uh, to meet with uh, the mission-minded group, uh, uh, Laura and Tim over here, Corbett's, have been family to me whenever I pass. They're, they're like the Bethany. Uh, you could pray for me. I'm actually tomorrow flying out and going to Dearborn, Michigan uh, to speak at one of the largest mosques in America uh, over there. Uh, I usually work among the Al-Qaeda. Two, three years ago, planted something among the Taliban. I don't know if I told the church of what I did at that time. Maybe another time. But uh, that's where I do. I work in India, where I'm from. Uh, this is not my tan from Florida. I, I'm originally from India. And brown lives matter, trust me. So, you know, we're like, so I go to India. And then from there, I go to Vietnam, uh, India, Nepal, uh, Bhutan, and then Pakistan. So that's one cluster. Uh, is my English okay? Do you, do you all understand? My accent is okay? All right. This is the only one I have, so you have to manage with this. So uh, that's where I work. I also work around the, the Mekong River in Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos uh, over there, and then the Far East in China, uh, uh, and then in Vladivostok in Russia, and then I go into NK. So uh, my Indian passport allows me to do that. And so some of the countries I go in, but I report to Malaga, Spain, which is the headquarters for Krista. Oh, the, it's on the board there. Oh, by the way, that's my family. When I was young and lustful, I was praying I'll be surrounded with pretty women and see what God did. 
He, he gave me a wife. Uh, Dorothy works in Georgetown University. She's an instructional design something. I don't know. It's about my pay grade. But uh, the other one is Alethea. Alethea means truth. And she's a medic kind of a uh, person. Did her MCATs and now working with Innova. And that's Karis. She works for Elderman, uh, one of the largest uh, PR companies in the world. So she's in D.C. too. Um, and uh, that's my family over there. One is, uh, I often say one is software, the others are hardware. I am nowhere. So um, when it comes to this, and so I do oscillate between two worlds. Um, I, I am a professor full-time at Liberty University, uh, which is the world's largest Christian university. And uh, God's given me the privilege to pour into young people. Uh, I also, uh, you know, the, the thing about professors, we get like four months off. Did you know that? A year, four months off. I mean, salary may not be good, but I mean, the, the perks are great. Did I tell you the difference between a professor and a large pepperoni pizza? No? You see, the pepperoni pizza can feed a family of four. All right, so then we, when you think about what happens here... It's such a privilege for me to do what others don't, want, and can't. And what Pastor Brent was saying, basically, is Jesus only asked us to do one thing. Did you know that? Only one thing. The Great Commission, I call it the grave omission, nobody's doing it, is, is about disciple-making. So I make disciple-makers, not even disciples, because if you make a disciple, it's stop. If you make a disciple-maker, it's exponential, right? You create a movement. So that's what I do, but I do it in countries where the gospel is not yet known. And I'm going to give you one country today as a sample because you guys pray for me, I know. I want you to see where your money goes. Your money don't go to me. God's been good to me. Our monies go directly to those who have no means to share the gospel to people who've never once heard the name Jesus. So that's what I do, which most people don't. We make disciple makers but it's usually through transfer of church membership. You know, we play musical chairs. But you and I don't have an outreach till it's focused on the unreached. And I want to challenge you this morning about that. You know, don't worry about the past and what's going on. Let's see if we can reach those who need the gospel. Um, and so that's what I do. And I do what others can't uh, because I go to countries like Laos and North Korea. How many of you have been to Laos? Or North Korea. So that's what Pastor Brent was saying. Um, I, I have the opportunity, I should say the obligation. I mean, I'm literally one in a billion in India whom God chose. I was a street kid. Uh, and uh, my mother sent me to school to learn English. And it so happened to be a Christian school where I heard the gospel. And so I'm very, very indebted. You know, today we are all about rights and fighting for our rights. Only in America we can do that. Most of the world don't even know what rights are. They live on responsibilities. And that's why even though dependency is a big issue, cultural issue in missions, I think there's a worse culture in America. Do you know what it's called? Entitlement. And I think this will ruin America more than any third world nation. Because we think everybody owes us something. Because we are Americans. Because Listen, nobody owes us anything. We owe them the gospel. Think about that. And Jesus never told us to go and fight and kill for our rights. He said to lay down our lives. So it's a different world when we take up the sword. I hope we don't, we trust God more than government. Because I tell you what, we need the gospel now than ever. 
and there's spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And we need to stand for the gospel, not be ashamed. But don't forget the battle is the Lord's. We're not going to win. So you may not like this message and you may not invite me again, but I'm just sharing the word of God. So that's okay. I'm not looking for an opportunity to preach. I just want to be faithful to God's word this morning. And I want to appreciate you. You know, most churches have come out very sad and sorrowful through this pandemic. And I want to show you what happens in one country that I go to. I want to talk about Nepal before I go into the word of God. The coronavirus has taught us one thing. If it has anything else, we are not in control. Think about it. What does the word corona mean? What? Corona means crown. And if you look at the virus, it even shaped like a crown. This virus is controlled. I mean, I live like 20 minutes from the treasury. Trust me, I don't know if there's anything left in it. But anyway, I live like 20 minutes from the treasury. I live about 45 minutes from uh, John Hopkins. But did you know all the resources in the world and every medical research has not been able to figure this virus out? And when the last trump had sounded, so to say, sorry for the pun, and we thought we've got everything together, God sends this little virus to show us we're not in charge. That we need to trust in God and God alone. And that's Psalm 62 that I want to share with you. And I feel free to do that in this church. Because some of you have prayed for me for a long time. And you know what I'm doing. And I love you. I want to thank you for your faithfulness to God and God alone. We'll come to that Psalm in a minute. I was passing through uh, the uh, checks in one of these travels During the pandemic, I literally smuggled myself from Bhutan back because my family was here. I'm sure I had the coronavirus. I don't know. My wife kind of gave me the elbow. said, love you. Let you go. Go to your man cave in Lynchburg and hide there. I'll see you after two weeks. I quarantined myself. I'm sure I was vomiting and all that stuff. But those were days when you don't even have the test. So I don't know what was wrong with me. But then passing through, they asked this guy to put his mask and he said, Nah, when I got up this morning, last time I checked, I'm American. And that kind of bothered me. Again, I'm not into politics at all, but I've been praying. My own brother, a few weeks ago, had COVID-19 and was dying. I had to call and get him a bed in a hospital in India. And he was given oxygen fighting for his life. Now he's back home. I'm thankful. My own sister, who has diabetes, just a few weeks ago managed to get her first vaccine. We have the luxury to choose whether we want it or not or whether there's a 5G theory going in behind our triple sixes in our heads. You know, some countries don't have that luxury. I have a list of 2,000 people just from my country who are Christian workers who between last summer and this summer died because of the COVID. Most of them I know. This is real. Look at us. What freedom 
But often we forget, isn't it? 9-11 hits us and we're like, ah, God's got our attention. What happens after that? I've got some pictures actually with me, all these masks and all. Because I'm keeping them with these gas masks because I'm going to show them to my grandkids. and like, Dad, what was you doing? 2020. Let me tell you this story. No, I'm serious. We'll be telling this. The Chinese word for crisis has two characters in it. Did you know that? Two characters which are pictorial. One is danger and the other character is opportunity. And this morning I want to ask you, yes, there's danger. Even within the word pandemic is the word panic. I think part of the problem is just panic. But let me ask you this morning, can we use a crisis with danger as opportunity for the gospel? I'm just asking the question. I don't want to preach. I told Pastor Brian, I just want to talk to you this morning and encourage you in your psalm to be found faithful for such a time as this because it's passing by. And if we are ambiguous, that's going to create more anxiety. You know why this, this pandemic and this coronavirus is so phobic? Because we don't know how it's coming. And we don't know how we get it. You know, we're not fully in control. And we don't know where it's going. Because this virus, apart from the H1N1 or the Spanish flu, is asymptomatic. Which means what? You can actually have no symptoms and still be a carrier. That's why it's about wearing a mask. Because you love your brother more than yourself. It's not about me anyway. Think about it. If you have an issue, come with me to the mission field. I'll take you and we'll find out about rights and privileges. I don't know. I'm just thinking, I love America. This is where I received my, my, the first education with Jack Wirtz. And I couldn't believe I could study the Bible. And we are known as the land of the, oh, come on, land of the, and the home of the, I don't know about the second half. I'm not sure about the second half. Whether we have that bold and audacious faith in God and God alone. So I want to look at this psalm. I also want to show you a few pictures. And uh, just to show you faces and what we're doing. And I want to focus on Nepal, the country that I last came from. I came on the last Emirates flight which was, which was chartered uh, by a bunch of U.S. Uh, wealthy people. I managed to get in that. Think of that. And uh, came came in that last, just about taxied into Dallas where I live 20 minutes, 15 minutes behind the airport in D.C. Oh, what happened to this? Hey, Kelly, Libby, is this coming up? Oh, there it is. Of course, the next one, dear, the next one. I'm just preaching by faith, not by sight right now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Thank you so much. So anyone, anyone knows what this is? This is the highest mountain in the world. What is it called? Mount Everest, top of the world. I took this picture from the window of my aircraft. We chartered a flight with some of my friends uh, Jerry Mick, some of you will remember uh, him from Bangor Baptist. I took them. And that is the top of the world, Mount Everest. But if you look carefully in the regime of the Annapurna range, I look down, there's some people. <laughs> and I'm like, I took three, four flights and chartered this to get to see this. How in the world did these people get here? I mean, did they fall from heaven or how, you know, how did they get there? And they just have some mountain goats and berries, and that's what they feed on. You know what my next question was? 
has the gospel gone to them? Next slide. So when I came there and I talked to people, I talked to the leaders in the Nepali churches, and I said, you know, who are those people? They said, oh, they are the kind of the Sherpals, the Gurkhas, you know, the mountain climbers. Oh, by the way, who uh, was the first one to have climbed Mount Everest? Anyone know? Who? Yeah, well, Sir Edmund Hillary was knighted later, but you're absolutely right. He wouldn't have done it without Tenzing Norge, and he was a Gurkha. He was a Sherpa. And uh, these people live there. They and I said, "Well, uh, we got to go tell the gospel." They said, "Doctor G, you know, you speak Hindi and Nepalese. They don't even have a language. They have some dialect. We don't even have the Bible in their language." So next slide. I came down and I talked to the group. And there was one fellow who said to me, Ramu said, Dr. G, you train me. Actually, my forefathers are from those tribe, that tribe. They have these Nepali knives, daggers, and by their commitment, once they take it out, they don't put it back until they draw blood. That's why they are very famous warriors. And they belong to this tribe. And even if they don't kill, they actually, you know, cut themselves and put it back in blood because they can't put it back unless they've taken blood. I mean, they're really committed. This guy was trained, I certified him. By the way, that's the language you can, how many of you can read that in the background? Okay, so it's difficult. This guy said, you train me and I'm going. Right as I'm speaking, this is one of the guys who's doing what others don't want and can't. You know what I mean? I want you to see this. I want us to see that the issues that we fight over and divide churches in the light of eternity is really nothing compared to taking the gospel. People need Jesus. I mean, one got upset. What are you doing with the Al-Qaeda? Did Jesus die for the Taliban or not? Did he? So do they need the gospel? Think about it. We can curse the darkness or we can light a candle. I am so glad even while we are here talking, somebody is reaching out to those people who never heard the name Jesus, not even once. And I tell people, don't give people an opportunity to receive Christ. Give them one opportunity to reject him. It's a matter of justice. Next slide. I came back to the group because this group really honors their teachers. This is Jerry Mick and myself with some of the Nepali leaders. They give us a topi, they call it, a hat. And this golden shawl. It's a Jerry shawl. Just to show how much they appreciate those who bring good news to them. I tell my students, I teach over six to seven hundred students a day at Liberty University. And I challenge them. I mean, my daughter, both of them are grown up working women now. The other day they wanted to go bungee jumping. I mean, do you know what that is, Tim? They put you at the end of a rubber band and throw you from some rock or bridge. And if she wants to go bungee jumping, I'm like, say hi to Jesus. I mean, you know, I mean, why would you want to do that? But then I got thinking, listen, if you want to do bungee jumping, you can do missions. Why not? And here's my challenge to us this morning. I know I'll go into the text. We're not going to the nations, church. How much more gracious God is. The nations are in our neighborhood in America, isn't it? Look at Kobe College and Thomas College and the students. You may not be able to cross the seven seas. That's why you guys send me. But you can cross the street. Can't you or not? Can't you or not? Let's start where we are. Do what we can. 
and trust the Lord to save the lost. We can't save them anyway. But here's the picture I want to leave with you. So weeks ago, I mean, uh, we've all become screenagers, aren't we? Screen. I got five screens I work on. We've all become screenagers. I'm actually a zombie. You know who a zombie is? I, no, I'm just joking. My whole work is on Zoom now. So I was doing this Zoom training, and there was about 21 Nepali leaders whom I have mentored the last at least 13 years. And these leaders are spread out. I challenge them to leave Kathmandu and go to places like Pokhara, Chitwan, the Elephant Park, where no, these tribal people don't know Jesus. One of them was Lomas. He longed to start a church. He's from a, he's a Hindu convert from a high caste. He said, Dr. G, I, I don't know. I just got married. We got a little daughter, but I'll go to that tribe. So, that's what I did. I trained them and they sent. So they come once a month. We have a Zoom because I couldn't go physically. And in that Zoom, it was so encouraging to hear reports of what God is doing. I saw an interesting cartoon the other day. You know, Satan is on one side, you know, with the horn and uh, pitchfork and his tail. I wish he looked like that. We could figure him out. But anyway, Satan's on one side and Jesus is on the other side of the globe. And Satan is like... I shut down every church around the world. Na, 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 na. I shut down every church in the world with the pandemic. And Jesus says in calmness, I opened one in every home. Listen, this pandemic has taught us the modality of missions, how we do it. What is really important? It's time to burn the fat and build the muscle. There's so much of superfluous things. Corporate worlds are downsizing to economize. Less is more today. And that's true in America. Look at us. We got so much to live with and so little to live for. We get what we want, then we don't want what we got. We've learned to live in the, on the moon. Did you know people are buying plots on the moon now? And they can't even live with their wives in their bedroom. The very things we are creating are destroying us. How many time-saving devices we've got today? Think about it. And no time to do anything. What is wrong with us? There's only two things that last, church, that endure forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what? The word of God, the gospel is eternal. And you know what else? Don't believe these universalists. The soul is eternal, either heaven or hell, but it's eternal. There's only two things that last forever, the gospel and people. Hey, let's invest the rest of our lives. We've realized in this time, we don't have much time, do we? It's only just a minute, 60 seconds in it. I didn't seek it, didn't choose it, yet it's up to me to use it. I will suffer if I lose it, give an account when I abuse it. It's only just a minute, but eternity is in it. Is that a wrap? I mean, you want to see a picture of Lomas? Next slide. Out of this big group that I train for the next generation to plant churches where Christ is not known, 
Lomas not only went to the Chitwan area, he even took his family and while church planting, it's, a, it's all house churches, by the way, he had a second son. In Asia, when you get a boy, it's like, oh, God has blessed me stuff. Next slide. This is his family. He works among children. You can see some of the goodwill stuff we take when we go. They all look like Americans when we dress them up. But they have hardly anything. But on that Saturday, after the Skype, on Monday, I got a WhatsApp note that Lomas has coronavirus, COVID-19. And on Wednesday, he died. Next picture is his family. Sweta, his wife, tells me that he named his older daughter in sixth standard, sixth grade, I guess. He says, Dr. G, you came and told us that if we go and tell them about Jesus, God will bless us. Why did he kill my husband? What did he do? Says my daughter comes and says, is dad gone with Dr. G? He usually goes for a week. When is he coming back? And she says, what do you want me to tell her? He said, my little boy just learned to say dada. What am I going to tell him? And so this week, we are mobilizing funds to send to Sweta. Because she's a, from a Hindu background. They think, you know, cause and effect, karma, you know. You reap what you sow. So she's asking me, is there a curse on me because I brought this into the family? She's disappointed with God. She was in shock. Now in denial, these are common things. Trust me, even Christians go through this. In spite of the pandemic, though we are hunkered down, did you know that domestic violence is on the rise? Did you know that addiction from pornography to addictions of all kind, drug? Did you know that people are now cutting themselves, young people, Christians? Depression and suicide is on the rise. People need the Lord. I'm talking about... Here. So we're trying to get her out of that. The reason we don't want her to be there, in those villages, uh, when your husband dies, you become very vulnerable. They could rape you, do all kinds of things. So I'm praying that we'll be able to bring her back to, to Kathmandu. Uh, I've connected her to a good church and some Christian godly women. Dorothy and I have counseled her. I just want you to know, whatever we give today, I don't know what Pastor... Brent is going to do, it doesn't matter. Um, but whatever we do today, I'd like to send her the funds to relocate her family uh, and help her recuperate. I'm saying this because God has blessed America. We have much more than we need. Am I right? Yes or no? Yes. Certainly more than we deserve. And I think during times like this, church, Let's encourage our hearts in Christ and Christ alone. Well, um, I know you're excited to hear the word and you're all about exegetical preaching and all. But I thought I'll share this first with you uh, before I just summarize a few thoughts from the psalm and encourage you. And then at the end, Pastor Brent will come close us in prayer. And if you could remember Lomas, uh, he's dead, but his wife Sweta and our ministry to such people. This is just one case study, okay? I just selected one because that's what, what I'm going to do the next week. Get that Western Union money to her so that someone will relocate her in a very vulnerable state. 
Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. We'll put this up towards the end. Uh, I want to speak to you about a simple topic. And this is what I'm going to call it this morning. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Let me say that again. What do you do? Oh, come on. What do you? Church, if you answer quickly, we finish early. You understand this? All right. What do you? My, you guys are ready to go already. What do you do when you don't know what to? Have you felt like that? David felt like that in many, many cases. We started with a medical crisis with this coronavirus and it ended up with an economic crisis. You remember that? Should we go to work? We need jobs. If we don't go, we can't eat. If we go, we get sick and die. You remember that? We had a severe economic crisis. That came to the back of a political crisis. We were divided as the church over all these party spirits and polit- politics entered the church. And then after that, we have a cultural and racial crisis with this whose life matters and cancel culture, Me Too movement. I wrote papers on the CRT, this critical race theory, and presented it. I'm telling you, I did that some years ago when I studied Marxism. It's come back again. And and uh, we've been hit, bombarded by a medical crisis, political crisis, economic crisis, cultural crisis, racial crisis. Church, we are in a spiritual crisis. That's what's important. And David turns our heart and encourages us what to do when you don't know what to do. Let me quickly read the psalm and then make a few comments on that. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 62. David is, this is one of David's psalms. He puts it to a real rap tune, I'm sure, because Nathan or Jeduthun was one of those well-known upbeat uh, uh, choir masters. So he actually composed this, the, the music for this. Now listen to this, verse 1. For God alone, you will see many times alone and only, these exclusive terms show that David has no alternatives. I remember when I first came to America, I didn't have ice cream in India much, only weddings or something, this little floating yellow thing which was cold, I liked it. Imagine when I came to America and they took me to Baskin Robbins. <laughs> yeah, you know, they had many options. That's the problem with the church. We have too many alternatives to God. David said in God alone, follow the exclusive terms here. In God alone, my soul what, church? Waits. My soul what, church? Wait. How many of you like waiting? I hate waiting. DC traffic, you come with me. You sit there and wait. I sometimes get naughty, you know, the traffic, like, I sit and I smile. And people think, what is wrong with that guy? <laughs> I go to the doctor's hospital, you're like waiting for your number to be called or something. And they'll tell you some horrible things. Waiting. Who like, because waiting time is wasting time, isn't it? It's different in the Bible. You're going to learn about waiting because waiting time is never wasting time. It is actually refueling time. It is renewing time. We have waited in this pandemic. Listen, I'm here to encourage you. Keep waiting. You know why? They that wait on the Lord, Isaiah 40, 31, shall what? Renew their Isaiah 30, verse 15. In quiet and confident shall be your. It's refueling time. 
Don't give up. The problem with America is we can't wait. We've got to keep doing. Psalm 40 in verse 10. Be still and know that I am. You know why we don't know? Because we're not still. We look at this and he says, I wait in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone, see that exclusive term, he alone is my rock and my salvation is my fortress or my refuge. I shall not be shaken. How many churches and leaders are shaken? This afternoon I'm talking with some leaders. I was shaken. I haven't shared this with Pastor Brent. I myself wanted to almost resign last August and give up. And go back. I said, you know what? I'm fed up with this stuff. Three people I worked very closely. One I actually worked for. Some of you actually know these people like Carl Lenz and Ravi Zacharias and Jerry Fowell. I mean, I know these guys. I traveled with them. And I was really broken. I'm being honest with you. Maybe you don't like me being vulnerable this morning. But I had a crisis of call. I mean, do I want to do this stuff? I mean, you write books like I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And then you say, there's no God. I hate Jesus. I mean, things are happening today. You're thinking, what is wrong with you? Where was your faith? In some leader? In some organization? In your bank account? Listen to this. Am I preaching already? I thought I'd share with you. But next, he says, how long? Verse 3. Did you hear that? How long? Have you asked that? How long are we going to wear this mask? How long are we going to have these restrictions for me to travel? I, I long to go to the Taliban where this church is. They won't let me. Not that I can't go. The country doesn't let people in. I was ready to go to India and they had the variant, the Delta variant. Anyone familiar with that? It's real. And they're like, forget you. We're not going to let you in. They used to love people from America. Then I'm like, Americans, you all are infected. Stay away. You wait. You say, Lord, how long? Look at this. He says, they, these people, they batter me. And he gives you two analogies here, pictures. He says, a leaning wall and a tottering fence. Hold on to those two pictures because I'll tell you how significant that is as against the rock. He says, they plan to thrust him down this high position. They take pleasure and falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inward they care. They curse me. And that word sailor means, think about it. Hold on. Meditate. That's what people are doing. We're living in a very dangerous world that you can be a Muslim, a a Hindu, or anything in this country and have your rights. You try being a Christian. In the name of tolerance, we have compromised the gospel. It's funny. I go to these countries where uh, people are dying to be, you know, hear the gospel. And they have freedom. In our country, we can't even share the gospel in schools, can you? Or in public places. You can't even, in the hospital, you can't even pray with somebody. You try that in any other country. They're just, have you been to Muslims? I mean, I was on the plane the other day. It's very interesting. There's a guy, you know, I, I do a lot of things in the night where I prepare on the flight. And I'm coming there in this, this area. There's a guy, he's put his mat and he's a Muslim. He's praying. He's not ashamed of what you think. He's right there in the aeroplane. Facing towards Mecca. And I'm thinking, this is an aeroplane. How do you know where Mecca is anyway? He's like, I don't care what you think about me. This is my faith. You can do that in any countries, even in the air. 
I'm telling you, we are in a crisis in this country. We need to rethink how to let our light shine. David says this, he says, For in God alone, verse 5, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is in him. He is my only rock and salvation, my fortress. I shall not be... Do you see how many times he literally, like in refrain, sings it again and again? God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock and my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Factor that and think about it. Selah. Chew that is what he's saying. And keep quiet. He's in control. Those of low estate are but a breath, he says. Their high estate is a delusion. Their balances, they go up, they cheat, they, they, they're gone. They put their trust in extortion. They set their vain hopes in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Verse 11, once God has spoken twice, I have heard this. This is a literary device in Hebrew, which is like idiomatic. He's bringing numerals to say, hey, elementary, my dear Watson. I mean, that's what he's saying. You know this. Once I told you twice, what? Power belongs to who, church? Look at that verse. Power belongs to who? Not to us. Not to our structures. Not to governments. Power belongs to who? To God and God alone. And David's keen that we don't put our faith, even in a, certainly not in ourselves, for such a time as this. But along with that, the fact that he's powerful, look at the latter part of that verse. He talks about his hesed, his unfailing love. He's merciful. Listen, isn't God merciful to us? Look at us. Some of us have gone back to normal lives. But we can't wait. We, 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 we are impatient. We're like that impulsive horse or that stubborn mule. I'm sorry, I'm just coming back from a camp with horse riding. You know, but that's exactly what we are. And so he says in that last verse, that you, O Lord, to you belong steadfast love. That's the word hesed, which means unfailing love, mercy. For you will render to every man according to his works. Now, I got a long message. Could you just put the whole slide up and I'll just talk to one of those points uh, Ah, brother, please. So let me tell you, first of all, David's reality. He's in a life-threatening crisis in this uh, place. We got it? Uh, the first slide. You can put the whole slide up. David is in a, a life-threatening crisis. Let me tell you what that crisis is. Okay, doesn't matter. The, the, there's two issues. One has to do with Saul, King Saul. And yeah, just put the first slide, brother. Yeah, put the whole thing up. Thank you. So, oh. <laughs> maybe my magnetic personality behind the. Uh, yeah. Okay. Doesn't matter if it. If you can see that, that's fine. Don't worry about it. So let me just summarize this first slide. Saul was a persistent threat to David. David, did you know Samuel anointed him to be king? And for 20 years, two decades, David had to wait. Imagine this. He already knew he was king, but still he had to wait. He wasn't like Simha, I just can't wait to be king. No, he had to wait to be king. 
And he's running in the rocks. And he's hiding for his life. It started with a javelin that wanted to pin him to the wall and kill him. And you know what? David is now waiting. He's hiding in the rocks. So these things that you read, the Lord is my rock, my refuge, my... These are actually David's experience. In Kengedi, where he was going to be killed in these mountains, David is struggling. But I want to say something else. Saul may have been a persistent enemy with political power. Faith Church, are you listening to me? There was another enemy I believe was worse than the external enemy in politics. Saul was king, by the way. It was his own son, Absalom. Did you know that David was a lousy father? He never corrected Adonijam or his son, Absalom. And this is a fairly adult congregation, I can tell you this. This guy not only usurped his throne, he was vicious, he slept with David's concubines. And I think David's heart grieved for Absalom. Now you tell me, which is worse? An external enemy that we can expect as a threat or an internal threat that we never knew will be our enemy. I want to say to this church, you need one another in times like this. The enemy from above, outside, yes. But I think, I tell churches, we need to be united in such a time like this. Because if you're divided within the family of God, I believe that will cause more hurt, especially to our leadership. David grieved over this, and he struggled. He was desperate, and he needed deliverance. But yet God was his rock. What is this rock? This was a place where he had a firm footing. That's what rock is. But not only was he a rock, he was his refuge. And David knew that because in the Old Testament, they were what they call cities of refuge. Where when you committed crime, even if it's murder, if you ran into that place, you were safe in that territory. It's like John Wick, you know, you go there, nobody can kill you. So they always ran into these safe places, these cities of refuge. He says, listen, when you cannot stand, you fall on him. We sang that. God is my rock and I stand on him. God is my refuge. I run into him. But David is struggling with justice. He says, listen, God, why is this? Did you see that? He says, these wicked guys, I am trying to live for you. And people are trying to kill me because I live for you. You know, one of the things I've been addressing theologically, I'm not here to give you any theology lectures, but is this issue called theodicy, especially during the pandemic. I go to these Q&A sessions, they put me up and they say, hey, you think God sent the pandemic? Do you think God sent the virus? Can a good God send evil things? I, I tell you what, he's sovereign, he can do anything, by the way. If you say he's sovereign, he can do And by the way, who sent the plagues to Egypt? You remember Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people were my call, but have you read verse 13? Yeah, God sent the plagues to Egypt. Yahweh did. So God can do anything. Question is, have we learned from it? God is not the author of evil, but God can allow and even send it. Do we get the message that he's in control? That's a big issue. 
That's how you reconcile a God who's too good to be unkind and he's too wise to make any mistakes. Do you believe that? Let me say that again. God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to make any. Will you trust him? Or will you only trust him if he does things your way? Or he gives you prosperity or your party wins or your family is still secure. Come on. Don't say God is my rock and refuge if you have all the Baskin Robbins alternatives lined up for you. You saw how exclusive David in him and him alone is my trust. Let me go to the next slide. I just want to pass. I'm not going through all this. I just want to highlight some things for time. The second thing I want to show you in, in this is David's resolution. Uh, do you resolve? I mean, we've gone through the reality of this pandemic. Church, what have we learned? Have you resolved? Have you made some decisions? Uh, this afternoon with a small group I'll be sharing as a result of these men I worked with and their moral and monetary failures, I came up with a triple A policy last year. No, it's not for insurance or auto insurance. I decided with my wife to call a few mentors or peer mentors and I decided, number one, I am not going to give any appearance. That's the first day, any appearance of evil. Secondly, I am going to live above reproach. No one should point a finger at me. Third, I'm going to be ruthlessly accountable. I'm not going to be... And by the way, I don't know what we, you're thinking, but I am convinced that the celebrity pastors in mega churches are going. That's one thing God's telling me. You don't need a taproot system. You need a fibrous root system where people come together and take ownership, a sense of belonging to this work called the church. And if you put one person on the pedestal and he falls, guess what? Like a big oak that falls, all the saplings are dead. But if we grow together and support each other, we can thrive. Think about it. David needed his mighty men around. All of them were a bunch of renegades, trust me. 300 men, you know. But you, David's men, he needed. We need one another. Now, in this second thing, I want you to notice two things. The issue of trusting and the challenge of waiting. I've already talked about waiting in terms of trusting. But let me ask you, the word that David uses literally means to fully throw yourself utterly on something. Not just lean on, but it's totally rest your weight on. It reminds me of this guy who fell off a cliff. I was looking at some rock climbing stuff there. It reminded me of this story. This fellow falls off a cliff and suddenly holds on to this little twig and he's hanging in this deep ravine, right? And suddenly he becomes spiritual. He's like, Lord, help me! Lord, help me. And then he hears this voice. My child, underneath are my everlasting arms. Let go. I will hold you. Anyone else up there? <laughs> no, I mean, we're laughing, but you know what I'm talking about. When it comes to eventually, you're like, I, I believe in God. I trust in him. I trust in God, but rest in the dollar. Church, 
the pandemic is asking us is God and God alone our rock, our refuge. Then he will be our redeemer. God is on a sa mission, search and rescue mission. But we must first realize we are lost without him. My, I love these songs. Looks like they all designed it for today. Did you give them my outline, Pastor Brent? It's amazing. My one desire, my righteousness. The songs we sang this morning is so apropos to this exclusivity. Trust in God and God alone. Total faith. God is my refuge. I want to mention that last sentence there. It is not only to wait on God, trust in him and rest in his promises. How you wait is also important. You know, ah, how many of you are married here? Some of you are not sure. <laughs> You're like, raise your hand, dear. <laughs> okay. Uh, for those of us who are married and have kids, you remember the are we there yet syndrome? You know, dad, I got to go syndrome. Can we stop? I need the ice cream. You know, and you're like, listen, just wait. And then you come to a point when you say, we get there when we. And they're like, okay, I'll wait. You know, many of us are like that in church. We know God is sovereign. He knows he's our rock and we're like, okay, to wait. God is sovereign. Listen. David's hope was in God and God alone. Did you see how he waited? By the way, the the literal Hebrew is not wait on the Lord. It's wait for the Lord. Because church, write this down. When we step out in faith, God shows up in power. God wants us to trust in him. Not to be in our safe court and say, God, Here's my list. When you go to Walmart, make sure you deliver this by Monday or send it by Amazon. You know, that's not God. That's a prosperity theology stuff. Making God serve you rather than we serve God. Church, this pandemic has taught us he's sovereign. We're not. I was reading a statistics that most Americans prefer to drive than to fly. Did you know that? You know why? It's very interesting. This bunch of psychologists found out Americans like to drive. They'll even drive across the country. You know why? Because when you're in the car, you are in. I kill myself. <laughs> you know, I'm in control. No, I'm not joking. We, there's another funny thing I saw. The uh, I'm sorry. Am I telling too many jokes this morning? Listen, um, I, I saw this funny thing. This, all these people are strapped up and ready to go on this flight. And then this voice comes. This is your captain speaking. Today I will be working from home. (laughs) (laughs) Working from home. (laughs) Listen, you can't work from home. You got to remember this is a mission field. Cross the street. Use this time. Danger, yes. Opportunity, of course. They not only waited on the Lord, they waited silently, patiently, A better translation, expectantly on the Lord, for the Lord, and God alone. This silence is not the absence of noise. This silence is a solitude that in spite of everything that's going wrong around you, your hope is in the Lord. It is a steadfast and a sure hope that God is going to show up. That's what faith and trust looks like. It's not like... Anyone else up there? 
That is not faith. I hope as a church that during such a time as this, that we realize that it really doesn't matter about the lighting and the parking lot and the color of the carpet. Listen, there's bigger fish to fry. We've got to let us go, what are you doing? Can I be part of this greater plan? Waiting on the Lord. He not only tells us what to do, he tells us what not to do. So next slide, I just want to point one thing. Just in case you're like the kid, are we there yet? You know, another thing, because my daughters are grown up working women now. But you know the other thing kids do? You try this. You, you give someone whatever, a candy or something, and she doesn't share it with the sister or something. Or you, you ask the, her to do something, you don't do, you know what they say? That's not, oh come on, that's not. You know, the psalmist comes to many places where he says, why do the wicked prosper? Why are the righteous suffering? I mean, some very godly people in my church died and their own children couldn't attend their funerals. And I'm like, Lord, why? I'm being honest with you. I struggle with this. People whom I love, I look up to mentor in my church, they died. Last year, three of my teachers, J.I. Packer, Warren Wisby, I mean, people whom I really, I mean, Harry Ballback, they all die. And I said, Lord, this church member, what did they do? They were younger. I mean, if you want to kill somebody, let me know. I got a list (laughs) from my church. You know, I mean, why, why, some of the things we don't understand. Faith Church, learn to wait. Resolve. That means it's cognitive and volitional. You make a choice, a commitment. I was studying about Gen Z, you know, I'm writing some papers now. This generation is the most connected electronically, most connected and least committed. And longing for community. I like that. Because I, I teach university. They are most connected. I come to classes before I even open my mouth. They got everything, you know, download data. They, they know the stuff. But they lack community. And they don't want to commit. How do you reach them? They must see our faith is on the rock. Our refuge is in God alone. He is our redeemer and we are resting in him, in him alone. And so David says, listen, this is how I feel. Those who are privileged, and don't get me on that note, because I, anyway. So, I mean, there are some people who have, they are privileged. They're getting me. He says, that's not. But he ends this psalm by saying, listen, God will vindicate. It's God who keeps the books. Do you understand? And when we think that if I don't play, God's team's going to lose, I'm sorry. I read the last chapter. Jesus wins. You better be on his side. This is so important, church. Look at those two images. Let me just mention. Think of a wall. Think of a fence. Who built that? Is it a human structure or is it a divine architect? We build walls. What happens to these walls? They fall. What happens to these fences? They break. 
What about the rock? Who made those rocks? I want to encourage you today. That's all I want to do. Listen to Jesus. Matthew 16 and verse 18. The very first time we hear the word church in the New Testament is from the voice of Jesus. When this fickle guy called Peter makes a confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in response to that confession, to that, that word is Petra. Petra means bedrock truth, not Petra. So aren't you glad the church is not built on Peter? He had problems with his mother-in-law. But you know, when you think about this, here, here is the bedrock truth. And Jesus said, I will build my... Oh, come on, I will build my... And the gates of hell cannot stop its advancement. That's the literal translation. It's not like, oh, Satan's getting us, try to find the rock. Jesus, listen, my kingdom is advancing. And the gates represent all the exousia, all the powers of hell cannot stop the way it's going to advance. Aren't you glad? This is our rock. This is our refuge. He is our redeemer. No wonder David sings about it. Church, cheer up. It's going to get worse. (laughs) What are the things we are resting on? And this is my practical application for today. I just threw a few things down. How much of, how many of us, our competence has been in ourselves? To my shame, as I put these PowerPoints up, I just had to stop putting the PowerPoints and just confess, Lord, how much this last year I depended on my health, my bank resources to pay for those airfares to go to do God's work, my competence because I'm a PhD. You know what my daughter calls a PhD? A permanent head damage. I mean, I am so, I mean, on my education, on my competence, on my health. I said, God, forgive me. That is a leaning wall that's about to fall. And then I have my security, my bank balance, my 5013C or whatever. And I'm thinking, God, that is my fence. Where is my trust? Is it on the rock of ages? Church, I just want to encourage you today, really. We're going through difficult times, but this is when it counts. You know, this power of positive thinking. You know, I must confess, a lot of my training, I realized it's not just teaching them to trust God. It's like, yes, you can. And America, of all the countries, we grow up with that stuff. Bob the Builder? What? Bob the Builder? Yes, you can. We even won an election with that phrase. I mean, you're thinking, yes, I can. Yes, you can. No, you can't. My one defense, my righteousness is God and God alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. I looked at the other thing. My circle of friends. My whole mood depends on how many likes I get on Facebook. What if you get no likes? You still trust in God? If our identity depends on our performance, we're in trouble. 
Our identity is in our intimacy in his presence. That's why we're gathered here. Not to prove anything to God, but to enjoy him forever. The third thing I put, my finances, my future resources, the stuff I have. <coughs> this last week I stayed in two homes and I said, I'm coming from camps and I do my laundry. And, I, and, and when I went, I saw the stuff downstairs. I could not believe that. You know, many of our basements are filled with anything we do. We, my Korean friend defined an American. He said, an American is someone who buys what he doesn't need with money that she doesn't have to impress people they don't like. <laughs> when you think about that, it's pretty, pretty good. And now we have yard sales. Or we spiritualize goodwill. You know, why did you get that in the first place? You know what the pandemic had taught me? Less is more. To downsize. To reduce. This life is a journey. You're not going to live here forever. Load light. You can go often. This whole thing about resources and materialism. We've come, our greatest idol today is consumerism. It used to be, I am what I think. Today it's like, I am what I buy, Amazon. The world passes away and the things thereof. But he who does the will of the Father, 1 John 2, 16 and 17, endures forever. So here's my last slide, David's reward. I think David understands where his hope is should be. And I ask, often I struggle with this. David was known as a man after God's own heart. And if you read Psalm, he says, I delight to do your will, O Lord. Your law is within me. And I thank God for that. But these are messianic Psalms. I'll tell you why. And let's be honest. Did, did David really do God's will? Perfectly? Do you delight in doing it? He was an adulterer, a murderer. I mean, we all fail. We are flesh and blood. We still read the Psalms, don't we? But that's the reason why this Psalm is important and Psalms in general. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when I read the Psalm, when I read the Bible, God speaks to me. When I read the Psalms, the Psalmist speaks for me to God. Because you read some of those imprecatory psalms, you know. Let their children be dashed against the rock. You're like, that's a not nice, that's not a nice thing to say. But that's how he felt. You can express yourself to God because he does care for you. You and I need to rest. He is our hope. I pray that today his grace will be sufficient. That we will see that justice and vindication belongs to the Lord. He is the righteous one. He will always do only what is right. Genesis 18.25 Abraham, the father of faith, realized even in destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, God will only do what is right. That's sovereignty. Not only the fact that God is in control. Church, God cares. His providence is there. So the message today is very simple. Not only Trust in his deliverance, 
and we've experienced so much of it, rest in his providence. Let me say that again. Trust in his deliverance. He's our rock. He's our refuge. We can run to him. He will redeem us. Yes, trust in his deliverance. That's where we get the word salvation, by the way. But also rest in his providence. The Latin word from which we get the English providence, whenever you see the prefix pro, it means before. And video is where we get the word visual. You know what providence literally means? God's going to see to it beforehand. Isn't that wonderful? Are you worried about tomorrow? I am. And that's why Jesus says, your heavenly father knows. We can not only trust in his deliverance in such a time as this. We can rest in his providence. He's our rock. He's our refuge. He will always have his redeeming love. So that we can not only trust in his deliverance. We can rest in his providence. Shall we pray? Let's bow together. I want to take a minute to pray for our church. I am so very thankful for the privilege of being here. The friendship that I've had with you over the years. Your heartbeat for missions. But I want to close with this little challenge to us. In such a time as this, would you say, wherever you are, two things. Lord, Forgive me for my dependence. My dependence on my own shaky walls and tottering fences. I need thee. I need thee alone. Would you say that? It's good to confess. I struggle putting this thing together. Because my dependence was on so many other things plus God. Is it God and God alone? We sing it. Can we commit to it? And then I want us positively to say, Lord, for the future, I need thee. I need thee. I am not only going to trust in your deliverance. Lord, today, this morning along with God's people at Faith Church, I'm going to rest in your providence. God's going to see to it. If you made that commitment, I just want to pray and thank God for this church so that we together can indicate we're not just doing it alone, we're doing it together. Listen, if God has spoken to you by His Spirit and you want to be part of this building this body, I want you to lift your hand up. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed. And you say, you know, Doug, you pray for me. I want to be resting in his providence, trusting in his deliverance day by day. Lift your hand up and I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us lifting hands in church this morning. Uh, These are empty hands and some of us are shaking because we know we don't bring anything to you really. Uh, And Lord, uh, we actually can't hold on to you. So would you please hold on to us, our rock, our redeemer. Lord, would you hold on to us as far as our commitment to you is concerned, that together as faith church, we will sing of our Redeemer. Holy Spirit, lead us into paths of righteousness for Jesus' namesake. To God 
be the glory. And on earth, be his peace. To Christians, be faithfulness. And to faith church, hope. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, It's a challenge that I desperately needed, and I know we desperately needed as well, and thank you very much for your vulnerability. Always appreciate your wit and humor, but your transparency has been very valuable to us this morning, Dr. Chris, so thank you so much for that. And I'm moved to uh, take part and challenge us to take part in the need that was presented to us earlier with the family of Lomas and and uh, the family that is left behind and struggling and still in a place of growth yeah, if we could have that picture, the family picture back up um, to be able to see them. Um, what, what I'd like us to do, we don't do this very often at Faith. And if you're new, you might think this is what they must do every single week and all the time. Churches are always asking for people's money and all that kind of stuff. We, we really do kind of downplay the role of, of finances and giving and things like that. And we're working on ways in which we can have that conversation more regularly. But this is different. This is an opportunity to take part in and take action in something that is, is needed now, needed yesterday. And, uh, and so we'll worry about the church finances another day. You know, who cares what happens with the checkbook and all that kind of stuff. And, and I can say that honestly, I know that our leadership is in, in concert with that kind of statement. When it comes to reacting to the needs that the Lord has placed on our, uh, before our eyes, that we want to be available to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And so the Lord's always had faith in his grip. We've always been able to pay the bills that we need to pay. And so we're not too worried about that. But what we'd like to do is to take part in this need to have uh, Sueta and her children be looked after to be relocated um, so that she can be strengthened and protected uh, in this time. And so uh, this is the challenge that we have. We try to make giving easier. And sometimes that means there's a delay in it. And then our intentions are good in the moment. And I don't know about you, but I never carry cash. I hardly ever, ha- I happen to have cash on me right now. So I'll be able to take it out and to, and to put it towards this. But I, I very rarely have cash on me um, or a checkbook. What is even a checkbook anymore? Um, and, and then we have giving online, but you go, well, I can't do it now. I'm talking to somebody as soon as church gets over and then I forget to get back to it on Tuesday or whatever the case may be. I think it's our opportunity to make this commitment. Lord, what would you have me do small or large? It's not about the amount to the Lord. And we're very uh, consistent to say that here at faith, but what is the part that we can, uh, we can play? What I love about this exercise in particular over this, this opportunity is that we will on this earth probably never meet Sueda or her children. And so we're not doing it for our instant feedback of her saying, thank you, this means so much. She'll never have an opportunity to tell us this on this earth. We may meet her in heaven, and we may have that conversation then. Um, The other thing I like about it, too, is it helps us practice what Chris just told us, and that's letting go of our trust in the physical and the financial and everything. Every time we, we take this out and every time we let it go and we get rid of it, it lets go of our trust in this earth. And I'm not going to re-preach the message that we just heard. But that's what I love about this particular act. So let's let the church finances worry about themselves. Let the Lord's got that. Let's take part in something that we can do about this family in need that we'll never meet today.
The ways that we can do that is um, we have in our giving boxes in the back. Uh, Pastor Gary, give me a nod. Are there envelopes on the side of those boxes? So if you take out one of the envelopes, if we see any cash in any of those white envelopes, we know for sure that it wants to that you want to send it uh, to this particular opportunity that uh, Dr. Nanakin's presenting to us. If you want to leave a check, put it in the memo. Um, I'm trying to think of the right word. Just put missions. We'll make sure that it gets there. We know that it's coming in today. Just put missions in the memo, and we'll know where that's going. Um, and if you're giving online, there's an opportunity to put a note and put missions. Uh, we're going to do something as a church either way. If, if two bucks comes in, we're going to make sure that more money uh, gets to this uh, opportunity. But it's our opportunity to do, go above and beyond, to, to take care, to let go of the things. That I, this will be replaced in my life. It always is. I feel like this is a sacrifice right now, and the reality is because of you guys taking such great care of us and the fact that we live in America, it'll get replaced. I won't even miss it in a few days. And so what's our opportunity to do something now with this? It's a great exercise for us to start uh, to continue practicing kingdom living. So let's just, uh, I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's close our time in prayer and ask the Lord to lead you in doing what you'll do with that. But Lord, we have been so challenged and moved today. Lord, we've been reminded of all that you've taught us over this last year and a half and in our strongholds, our, our fake and phony strongholds being dismantled. And so, Lord, I pray that as we continue to hear these refreshing words and we relate to uh, the Psalm of David and we are um, so uh, <laughs> just being so vulnerable before you, Lord, knowing that we have placed our trust in things that are just broken fences and falling walls. So Lord, in you, would you be our refuge? Would you forgive us for that, Lord? May we come running back to you to hide in your shadow. And so Lord, as we continue to do that, may our vision be expanded for the needs around the world. May we be reminded that as America goes, is not necessarily as Christianity goes, but we have an opportunity to do with what you've given us. So, Lord, we thank you, God, for your faithfulness in this time together. Thank you for this amazing body of people who I know will act and do great and, and incredible things as they've done in its entire existence, Lord, for the causes around this world. So I thank you, Lord, for all that you do and for the grace that has been shown to us who least deserve it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, Faith. Have an incredible day.